What is up, Brad fans? How you doing? How you living? I hope your summer has been enjoyable. There's been uh, weird weather all over, extreme heat. Who would have predicted that, right? Hmm? Anyway, in this uh, relaxed yet somewhat busy summertime for myself, I know I've owed you an episode. Uh, and so here it is. We are going to be working hard to get some guests back on for September, October, surely by November. Uh, we'll have guests back. Uh, but in the meantime, being that my plate is a little full at the moment, we are moving to Belgium from Marburg, Germany. So lots going on with that. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick update. Quick update on the things that I find the most interesting. That's right, you guessed it, infectious diseases. We're going to do a roundup of a couple infectious disease stories uh, that I am finding interesting. Uh, of course, COVID, of course, monkeypox, but our old favorite Ebola and its nasty cousin Marburg virus will also make an appearance. So before we get to that, as always, please subscribe, rate, like the show, really helps with our visibility, really helps with our numbers. Share the show, uh, put us in a tweet, put us in a post, whatever you use, it would be great to get um, more people listening to the show. Reach out on those social media channels at 2Brad4U, Twitter and Instagram. Send us an email, 2Brad4U at gmail.com. But really, just head to the website, 2Brad4U.wordpress.com. There you can find buttons to subscribe, links to send us a voicemail, uh, links to send us an email, all of that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. And again, subscribing to the show, following the show, and then importantly, giving us a rating and a review. Whatever platform you're using really, really helps. All right, with that, let's dive into some infectious disease news in these dog days of summer. All right, friends, just before we move on here, another little bit of news. The Newsly app has reached out to me to advertise on the show. So if you have not heard of Newsly, it is an all-in-one audio app for iOS and Android that picks the most trending articles on the web from any topic that you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. So if you ever got tired of reading, I mean, you're a podcast fan, so I'm assuming this is what you consume. The entire web has now become listenable for the first time via the Newsly app. You can browse articles from topics that you choose and then just start playing them. Uh, stop scrolling start listening. That's their phrasing, not mine. Uh, you can follow any topics, uh, anything from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, whatever you're into. Uh, it finds the latest articles for you and reads them to you out loud. Again, I know you're podcast fans, and so you probably hate reading, right? Well, there you go. Have your articles read to you. They also have podcasts. We are going to be on the Newsly app. Too Brad For You is on the Newsly app, but you can also explore trending podcasts. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free from Newsly, www.newsly.me, uh, or the link that'll be in the description of the episode, uh, and you can use the promo code Too Brad, capital T-W-O, capital B-R-A-D, Too Brad, uh, also in the description, episode description, and you can receive a one-month free premium subscription. So download and use Newsly for free. 
www.newsly.me. That's www.newsly.me. Uh, or look at the link in the episode description, promo code to Brad to get a one month free premium subscription. It's a really neat service. Find articles that you like, curating articles that you like, and then also reading them to you. So everything becomes a podcast. Okay, thank you, Newsly. And now let's get on with the infectious disease news of the day. Well, infectious disease news has been dominated by monkeypox, but hey, wait, hold on, record scratch. COVID is not over. We need to we need to talk about COVID. It is still the global pandemic, and I know that most of us have gone back to really uh, what what could be basically normal, basically pre-pandemic life. Um, travel has resumed. Masking is still uh, enforced in some areas. In a lot of places, it's not. Uh, it's voluntary, uh, and I don't know about you, where where you're living, but I'm always curious as to what the masking levels are, voluntary masking levels are, um, just just as a sort of sociology experiment, I guess, anecdotal data. Um, here in Marburg, is pretty high still. So public transit is it's required to take public transit. There's still the odd person that doesn't do it, and nobody really says anything because I don't know. Yeah. I don't think the bus drivers want to deal with that hassle, nor do nor does anyone else. Um, but yeah, so mandatory on trains, public transit, all of that, but voluntary in stores and everything else. And I find just my anecdotal data point going to my grocery store, it's probably still about 50% masked. Uh, that's employees and uh, customers to see uh, where the levels are at in your neighborhood, in your city. I mean, keep an eye on it. I, I, I agree that you know, we're, we're sort of moving past uh, focusing on this a lot. Uh, hopefully you've gotten your vaccine. If you haven't gotten your vaccine, you should be focused on this way more. Uh, but if you have, keep an eye on the levels. Masking is still a good idea when you're in tight confined spaces with other people, especially if levels are high in your city, in your where you're living. Um, also, consider talking to your doctor about a booster, because we know that with these vaccines, we now have you know lots of great data about the vaccines. We know that immunity wanes, and that is true of natural infections as well. So having a vaccine and then also having got it, yes, you're going to have some level of immune response but that will wane and how quickly it wanes what that means with new variants and things like this is still all very much the open question so uh important to as especially as we move into the fall we all know this we move into the fall people move indoors colder temperatures transmission will likely go up uh, and we'll have to see what that means in terms of um, our risk our personal risk so one interesting story that I wanted to highlight comes to us from MedPage Today, uh, which is medical news site that I've uh, cited a number of times on the show here. Um, and they are discussing a paper that was published in Lancet Infectious Diseases that, if I could summarize uh, very quickly, 
uh, they found that in Massachusetts, up in the northeast of, uh, of the U.S., uh, during a wave where they had the latest Omicron subvariants BA2, BA2.12.1, BA4, and BA5, don't worry about all of those. Basically, the latest variants, uh, they had a wave from February to June of 2022. And in an analysis of those cases, uh, they found that excess deaths did not go up compared to previous COVID waves. So cases went up. Uh, so it was a wave. They, had, they experienced a wave. They experienced a, an 18-week stretch uh, where they had at least roughly 200,000, uh, 220,000, 226,857, let's just be precise, uh, new cases uh, during the 18-week uh, week stretch. But the level of excess mortality that they experienced was a 97.3% drop compared with an eight-week initial Omicron wave. So a drop in mortality, which is good. It's good. And the authors of that paper describe what they're calling a herd safety rather than herd immunity moment. Uh, it's important to note that the percentage of uh, vaccination coverage in Massachusetts in this area was 80%. So very high. So everybody had, uh, most people had either a booster shot, a recent booster shot, an infection, vaccination, whatever it may be. So they had this fresh sort of um, protection. Uh, again, this coming from the, from the article, uh, which they, the authors attribute to this sort of herd safety. So it's not immunity because people are still getting it and there is still complications. There is still problems, but mortality did not spike the way it has in previous waves, which is a good thing. That is very much a good thing. Uh, so we can be happy about that. However, mortality is not the only thing when it comes to any disease, uh, but COVID in particular. I think a lot of us have forgotten that long COVID is a serious problem, that we're now, again, as time goes on, we're getting more and more data about um, the severity of it and the incidence of it. So I saw some reports that in the initial COVID waves, it was as high as one in eight people, in some places even even higher, uh, were experiencing long COVID. And that can, we still don't know what that means really long term, but we know that there's um, really bad symptoms that go with that. But in terms of the damage that it does to the body and what's going to happen to these people, you know, for the rest of their lives, what how it will affect, you know, your, your, um, lifespan, all of these kind of things, we just don't know. And yes, kids are at risk of that as well. So the whole, you know, kids aren't getting as sick is still true in a way, although with some of the other subvariants, we are seeing more hospitalizations of children. Um, long COVID is still a thing. And then also, I think even if the COVID uh, story itself has faded in the news, what likely hasn't faded in the news uh, in your area is the state of the healthcare system. Everywhere you look, healthcare is in crisis. If you know somebody who works in healthcare, who works in a hospital, they're probably extremely stressed out right now. Uh, staff shortages, uh, increased patient loads because of 
new COVID waves, which have to be treated seriously, have to be treated with all of the protocols to keep infections low. So all of the quarantine procedures, infectious disease procedures, which is time consuming and it's, a, it's hard works, but these cases have to be treated that way, which then has that knock-on effect, right? So even if mortalities aren't going up, you still can't have a just, well, well, it's just COVID in the hospital. Let's just, you know, we're not going to treat it with all of those quarantine and isolation procedures that we do because, well, one, you're just going to have a huge spread of COVID cases. So even if mortality is low as a percentage of, of cases, the more cases you have, the more mortality you will have. Um, you also have the hospital filled with vulnerable people. So these are the people most susceptible to having really bad consequences from COVID. They're already sick. Um, they might be dealing with some kind of chronic illness, all of this kind of stuff. So the hospital has to treat it that way, which then has that knock-on effect. Uh, so staff shortages already just from people quitting and being fed up with this this nonsense and the other nonsense that they have to deal outside of the hospital, all of the political BS, and I'm sure some of them face harassment and all of these kind of things that we know are happening. Uh, you also have when a staff member is sick, they then can't come to work because of all of those things that I just mentioned in terms of isolation and quarantine procedure. So what does that do? That pushes all of the other care down. Uh, so not only are people getting hospitalized with COVID uh, and they're not dying, but that's also because they are being treated. We have now, you know, ways of treating and, okay, the virus itself has mutated, so maybe it's not killing people as much, but we have better protocols, all of this kind of stuff. Spoiler, ivermectin is not part of that, still not part of that. Um, but you have morbidity, what it's called. So people are sick and then that jams up the hospitals, yada, 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 on and on and on. I don't think I have to explain this too much more, but you've likely seen in your local news or your national news or whatever, that healthcare is in crisis. So COVID is still a, a big issue and we are going to be seeing this play out for a long time, even if we're not getting this spike in deaths with new waves. And I hope that that little bit of data that we have from Massachusetts uh, does hold uh, for other places uh, as we move into the fall and see uh, more COVID waves, which we will. That's almost guaranteed. Um, all right. So protect yourself this fall. Uh, talk to your doctor about getting a booster. Uh, consider wearing a mask in places where masks seem like a good idea. And uh, just keep an eye, just keep an eye on things uh, as you move through your daily life, as kids go back to school, uh, as you move into indoor activities, all of this kind of stuff, uh, and stay aware, stay healthy. The next one that we need to talk about, which is now all over the news, is monkeypox. You've likely heard of monkeypox. You've likely seen some pictures, uh, the disturbing pictures of gross lesions, uh, very painful uh, in all, by all accounts, uh, that are, is the main symptom of this disease. So this disease has circulated in Africa 
uh, for, I think, since the 70s, it's been discovered. It's, it's related to other pox viruses, such as uh, smallpox, which you've likely heard of, uh, varicella, uh, which I believe is the chickenpox. Um, anyway, there's a family of viruses that cause these symptoms, um, and this one has started a global outbreak. Uh, WHO declared it a public health emergency. Um, so there's now more international collaboration and all of this going on. So what is unclear uh, at the moment uh, is whether this is a new strain. I think there was some debate as to whether we call this a new strain or not. Uh, there's typically two strains that have been previously um, studied uh, and observed. Um, one being more severe than the other. Uh, and the other big story that it's coming out of this, well, there's two big stories that are coming out of this, and I'm going to focus on one uh, just for the sake of time and stuff like that. Um, but it's not to say that they're both not important, and they kind of deal with a bit of a social uh, aspect of this virus. You can get the details of the virus and, and all of that kind of stuff from Wikipedia. Uh, you don't need me for that. But I'd like to discuss a couple things. One is there's articles out there uh, being written about how African uh, doctors noticed this and were ignored, in their opinion. And this is the story that I haven't dug into as much, and I apologize for that. But I just, I only have so much time. Uh, but it's important to note that there was one doctor in particular, and I don't have his name, but you can look this up again, um, who noticed this outbreak several years ago, or noticed that something different was happening with monkeypox, and tried to alert colleagues, uh, he says, uh, internationally, and, and got nowhere. So there's... The criticism that, you know, the, the rich countries, uh, the wealthy northern countries of the world don't pay attention to, to these things until it's, it's in their backyard, which in a way, on the surface, you, you kind of say, well, yeah, why would you care about something until it's causing a problem in your country. And now that's a very callous view, uh, saying, well, these other countries, they can just deal with it. Well, you know, we have the resources. We are um, the rich countries in the world. We enjoy that position of privilege, you know, based on the backs of <laughs> a lot of other places. Uh, so it is our duty, I think, morally, to uh, help out when it comes to these kind of um situations, medical situations uh, in the world. But also, this just shows that if you do not deal with these things, they will eventually come to your door. We're seeing more and more infectious disease stories. Part of that is that it's just front of mind. But conditions are also changing on the ground that make these outbreaks more likely and make these outbreaks more likely to spread in a global sense. COVID is the perfect example of that. We saw how this thing spread around the world. Now, monkeypox is very different, and I'm not saying monkeypox will spread like COVID. We'll talk about some specifics about transmission in a second. Point being, we are all connected when it comes to health, global health. So working with colleagues in uh, places where diseases are emerging 
you know, some more, sometimes more of the tropical places, uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, these kind of places, is not just a moral imperative, but if you do not want to have these things spread to your country, we need to pay more attention uh, to our colleagues working in these places. Uh, and that means with resource funding, but also our attention uh, and our taking them seriously when they bring information to us. So I just wanted to note that um, because, like I said, conditions, we've talked about this before on the podcast, you know, the connectivity of the world with international trade and travel uh, means spread of diseases is way easier. Uh, but also the climate changing, uh, the land use, our encroaching onto wildlife spaces, um, destruction of wild land, all of this puts humans and animals into conflict and connection, which increases the spread of zoonotic diseases, which are diseases that come from animals and go into humans, which is all of these problems that we're dealing with now. COVID included, there's no evidence it came from a lab. There's now two new papers, really good papers, uh, that lay out a pretty strong case for it coming from the market, which I think most of us already kind of knew. Uh, of course, there is no smoking gun, and we can deal with that in another uh, podcast if you want, but there is good evidence that this is also a zoonotic uh, disease, which is what you would expect, COVID that is. Monkeypox as well. So the second story that I wanted to focus on with monkeypox also has a social dynamic to it because there's a big debate going on right now as to whether monkeypox is a sexually transmitted infection or it is happening how do i put this or it is the transmission that we're seeing is just happening during sex so Monkeypox, the, the original idea is, uh, in terms of transmission is that you get it from close contact uh, of the lesions, the infectious lesions of someone else. So someone has monkeypox, uh, they get these lesions, maybe they're not super visible yet, that kind of thing, that outward symptom, but you would get it from close contact, so rubbing uh, skin. You know, similar to chickenpox, right? Like we've all had chickenpox and at least, you know, before the vaccine was available, when I was a kid, you had the chicken pox parties, right? So one kid would get it, you would send all the kids over to that house to play with that kid uh, in order that you all get it. Uh, chicken pox is pretty infectious. Uh, I don't know in comparison to monkey pox what those numbers are, but, you know, you would share a towel. If you shared a towel uh, with that person, the chicken pox, uh, you could get it um, just, you know, kids being close to each other, playing, hugging, you know, rolling around, wrestling, all that stuff, you would get uh, chickenpox that way. So similar thing for monkeypox in that it was this close contact or, like I said, using the same towel or something like that um, from someone infected. That's how you would get it. So what we're seeing in terms of cases, and this is another sensitive topic, is I think over three quarters of the cases reported right now globally. Again, we can go back and get the specific numbers. I'll link to some some places. 
three quarters of the cases globally are happening among men who have sex with men. Uh, obviously gay men, bisexual men, but the medical term is men who have sex with men. Uh, that's the overwhelming majority of cases. And of course, there's a worry when you report that, that there'll be stigmatization and stuff. But obviously, you can't not report that because that community needs to know what's going on. They need to know what's happening in their community, if they're at risk, and what to do to, to prevent it. So Kai Kumpferschmidt is a gay man himself and an, an amazing infectious disease journalist. Uh, he wrote a piece in uh, Science, uh, maybe it was the New York Times uh, that picked it up, opinion piece laying out some of this data and talking about this exact issue, that his community needs to be aware that this is happening and what's going on. And he also raises the other issue that people who want to be assholes to gay men are going to use this to do that. So it's up to the rest of us, I think, to understand that and to call that out and be very you know, diligent with the way that we speak about this. So yes, right now, monkeypox is circulating primarily in the men who have sex with men population. Now, why is that? There's a number of reasons that that could be, and none of it, of course, as you already know, has any moral judgments or anything like this, which is what the, the people who want to stigmatize uh, gay people will have you believe. I've already seen tons of gross videos uh, on social media. I hope you don't traffic in the same places that I do on social media, but crazy asshole people at school board meetings and stuff using monkeypox as a way to demonize um, even just talking about um, you know different sexualities and stuff in school like it's just it's madness but anyway so starting from the beginning the first outbreaks uh, that we started to see in Europe and stuff like that happened within that community so it's possible that you know, that it just started there, right? Like it could have started in any community uh, and that's where we would have seen it. And then that first wave of transmission, you are of course going to see uh, among members of that community. The virus has to spread person to person, so that's where it's gonna go. But we're seeing that pattern hold over time, which indicates something else, that it's staying within that community. That's not to say that it won't move to another community, but it's, it's right now largely holding within that community. Again, I have to stress that doesn't mean that other people can't get it. There are cases of people not in that community, the men who have sex with men community, that are getting it. It's, you're, it's, it's that we're all humans. We're all susceptible to this virus. But as Kai Kumpferschmidt points out in his piece, viruses exploit human behaviors as ways of transmission, human connections as ways of transmission. And this is where the debate over whether um, monkeypox is truly a sexually transmitted infection or it's just being transmitted when people are having sex, why that distinction is important. Sexually transmitted infection, infection is when the, the specifics of sex cause transmission. So AIDS, uh, HIV, is a sexually transmitted infection 
because the male ejaculate, the semen, we're going to get into the, all the, the naughty words here, people. Uh, I can hear you giggling right now. Um, contains the virus. And then it actually, you know, that it transmits with that sexual act. Um, the organs involved in sex, uh, the internal sort of intimate nature of sex also increases the likelihood of trans uh, transmission. So whenever you have a mucous membrane, so whether that's in, um, well, essentially any of your orifices, uh, you can have higher amounts of transmission. So that could also be just the nature of this close skin to skin contact, right? So you're having sex, um, you know, let's use a, a fun term here, bumping uglies. Uh, you're in close contact with some of these intimate zones where there's, uh, it's not a, just your skin, you know, there's that mucous membrane as we called it. So the mouth, the, the rear, uh, the vagina, uh, all of these places. Uh, so you could get increased transmission that way, right? So we don't really know whether, well, the debate is whether to classify it as truly a, a, a sexually transmitted infection or just, like I said, this close skin-to-skin -skin contact um, coupled with, you know, these sensitive areas for transmission is what's causing the, the uh, infections. Uh, you would also think that if it's just close, close to clo close skin contact, um, there would be a, an indication, uh, you could get the rashes if you had them on your hands or something, you know, and you were touching this kind of thing, you could transmit it that way as well. Uh, although I think that the idea is that there needs to be some kind of way that the virus gets in. So I mentioned these mucous membrane zones, but also, you know, a cut, something like that, an abrasion on your skin. Uh, so I think you're seeing why this is an important debate because it, it, it shows you how you protect yourself. So if this truly is a sexually transmitted infection, and there's some lines of evidence that point to that, there has been virus found in semen. Uh, there is uh, a line of evidence where the lesions are appearing on the genitalia of people who are infected which likely means that uh, that's the point of entry uh, for the virus. Um, so the genitalia and the rectum, the anal rectal area uh, of men, you're seeing lesions there uh, in a lot of cases, which indicates that that might be where the transmission is coming from. And again, we're going into some details here. Uh, they've done some testing of those anal rectal areas uh, of men. Uh, in this community who have been exposed and they can find live culturable virus uh, in those areas, even if symptoms aren't present. Uh, so there was a, I think it was an NBC uh, news article that lays all this out. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, but anyway, there's some lines of evidence that are saying that it is, um, it, it could be sexually, uh, asexually transmitted an infection, uh, which again, then just points you to how do we communicate this to communities at risk and what do you need to do to protect yourself? So obviously using condoms, um, refraining from sex in general, uh, at least for the time being, or reducing the amount of partners that you have, these kind of things. 
which would also be the case if it's just, you know, coming from the skin to skin contact, right? You would want to stop that skin to skin contact. Uh, but the skin to skin contact thing kind of implies that, you know, that the lesions need to be present. Uh, we don't know if you can transmit without the lesions. There's still all of these unknowns. But anyway, I think it's in, the point, I think, is how do we talk about this in a way that is keeping to the facts and letting people know who is at risk and who is not? So largely... Like I said, men who have sex with men are making up the overwhelming majority of the cases. It's not to say that you can't get it if you are outside of that community. Um, the risk, I think, right now is, is low for most people. Uh, it's not something that you need to panic about. It's something you need to be aware of. Uh, and there are start, we are starting to see deaths from monkeypox. Um, not a lot. But it is happening. And again, deaths aren't the only story. These are very, very painful symptoms uh, that you go through, which require treatment, which would keep you out of your job, all of these things. Um, there has been a few cases of household transmission. So when someone in, in the house has it, it's, it, can easy, it can spread to other people in the house. Um, there's not really a lot of reports of children uh, getting it. I think in the U.S. there's like... 17 cases of people under 16 or 17 uh, getting it. Uh, so very much the men who have sex with men community uh, are at risk. Uh, and it's important that they know that and that people uh, communicate with them what they can do uh, to keep themselves safe, which is get vaccinated if you can. There is a vaccine uh, available. There's now a lot of issues about supply of that vaccine and uh, vaccine equity in terms of are the right communities getting it, this kind of thing. Is it being evenly dispersed across different communities? This goes back to you know socioeconomics, especially in a place like the U.S. where not everyone has insurance. Not everyone goes to the doctor when they have these problems, when they notice lesions or a rash or this kind of thing because of worries about insurance, that kind of thing, because of worries about stigma, uh, that kind of thing. So all of that is an issue uh, that will affect vaccine uh, rollout and just our awareness of this disease. If people don't go to the doctor and don't get tested, then they don't know they have it. There's also asymptomatic infections, which like I said, based on testing of some of the sensitive areas of people who even don't have symptoms, you can find virus. So all of this still needs to be uh, explored and played out. Uh, but if you are in that community, the men who have sex with men community, again, you can talk to your healthcare professionals about the availability of a vaccine in your area uh, and whether you should be uh, getting it. Because uh, yes, the nature of the of the act of sex uh, and sex in this community could have an effect on transmission. This is the debate we're having. Uh, it looks like that may be the case, just given the numbers. Um, so there's ways to protect yourself. And the lifestyle factors uh, also go into that, is what I wanted to say. So having multiple sexual partners 
is going to increase your risk. Um, people in a in monogamous relationships will have less risk. I think that goes without saying. Uh, I feel the need to walk sensitively around these things while also trying to be informative, which I think is the way to go. But there's just some of the facts about monkeypox and and what we know about it right now. So it's good that it's declared a global health emergency. I believe the U.S. has declared it a public health emergency. All of this just means that it opens up collaboration, data sharing, funding, this kind of thing uh, for this work, for this research, getting this information out there, getting testing, just getting a better idea of exactly what is going on. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to panic or that there's a big risk to you personally. Uh, so I think that's the important thing uh, to note it to, to note here. It does need to be kept under control because it's just because it's in the men who have sex with men community now doesn't mean it's going to stay there. Like I said, there could be, you know, there's, there's the virus is exploiting this route of transmission right now, but we're all humans. Everyone is susceptible to monkeypox, so it can move out of that community. And the more that the more cases you have, the more spread you have, like we learned with COVID, these things can mutate, they can change, um, they can spread outside of the areas that they're spreading now. And it's possible that you could get uh, monkeypox, what they would call, you know, getting a foothold in places where it, it, it didn't usually have. So being uh, one of the regular infections that we just now have in the world, uh, whereas before it was isolated to specific geographic regions, it could then be, you know, not endemic, but, well, maybe endemic is the right word, but you would have just outbreaks, flare-ups of monkeypox as a normal thing now in all of these other places. Uh, so it's important that it gets under control. Uh, and it's important that, like I said, this information gets out to the communities that need it, but also uh, we all need to watch out for people that want to use this information to be assholes uh, and to stigmatize uh, these communities, which goes without saying is ridiculous uh, and not something that me or this audience obviously partakes in. All right, moving on to the hemorrhagic fevers your Ebola update, uh, and then we'll touch on Marburg right before we finish. Uh, so there was a new case, this the, the 22nd, 23rd of August, a uh, new case reported in the Congo. Um, they had an outbreak in July that resulted in five deaths that was declared over. Uh, this case uh, was a woman who was admitted to hospital back in July for other reasons, uh, and they found Ebola. Uh, in her in her body. Uh, so the testing showed that the case was genetically linked to the 2018-2020 outbreak, which killed um, 2,300 people in Congo. So it's possible that this is a case of Ebola flare-up, where we've talked in the past about e Ebola can stay um, 
dormant. It can be in the eyes and other organs of the body where you're not showing symptoms. Uh, and then it can sort of reemerge uh, within uh, a patient. So this woman did have underlying conditions, HIV and tuberculosis, I believe. So this could play a role in why the, the Ebola flared up. Um, so the good news is that in the last two outbreaks in the Congo in 2021 and 2022, uh, very few deaths, uh, and it was controlled relatively quickly. So six deaths in 2021 and only five in July of 2022. Uh, vaccination could be playing a part in that because there was also, you know, this woman was in the hospital, this latest case confirmation and death, um, there have been at least 131 contacts of the woman who have been identified, including 60 who were frontline healthcare workers. But importantly, 59 of those 60 healthcare workers were already vaccinated against Ebola. So we talked about the vaccine rollout for Ebola uh, and this strategy of ring vaccination uh, around cases. So you have a case, you vaccinate the people that are closest contact with those and healthcare workers were being, you know, the first people to get this vaccine. So hopefully that's what we're seeing is the vaccine uh, in action uh, and working. Uh, we also probably have no doubt uh, these places have been through, these countries have been through several devastating uh, outbreaks uh, now and protocols, awareness, all of that stuff is better. Uh, it's important to always note that I like, you know, this is one of the fascinating things about infectious diseases to me is there is the biological angle, there's the immunological angle, all of that fascinating, you know, just s hardcore science stuff, we'll say, but then that social element, right? Uh, again, I point you to the Kai Kumpferschmidt piece on, uh, on monkeypox that really kind of drives that home, um, that viruses exploit us as humans, our behaviors, and all of these things. Uh, so hopefully that's playing, the vaccine is playing a role uh, in in these in containing these Ebola outbreaks, but then also, uh, like I said, better understanding, better awareness, all of this kind of stuff. Uh, because the last two in the, in the Congo, which is, you know, an under-resourced country when it comes to healthcare, uh, haven't uh, exploded into big outbreaks, which is good. Um, and then, yes, the interesting thing about this case is that it's it's possible that this person, this woman, uh, had been carrying Ebola for a very long time. We don't know how long, but it's possible that she had been carrying it for a long time. And then as her immune system weakened with these other conditions, that it, it flared up. So that's kind of an interesting note from the biological angle. Marburg virus, Ebola's, uh, Ebola's nasty cousin, has also... Uh, popped up and I you may have seen the news reports uh, kind of flash up news reports love to love to talk about this one when it comes up because it is like uh, Ebola in that it causes the same symptoms it's from the same family it's very infectious and it's very very deadly Marburg virus gets its name from the town that I live in Marburg because the first cases uh, were reported in people who worked with monkeys here at research facilities uh, in the city of Marburg. I think it was back in the 60s or something like this. Um, they were importing monkeys from Africa uh, to do 
lab work, uh, experiments, that kind of thing. Uh, and there was transmission of this, un, at the time, unknown hemorrhagic fever into uh, people who were caring for those uh, animals. Uh, that's how Marburg virus got the name Marburg. Um, and now we have a level four bio lab here in Marburg. It's one of the hot spots, uh, we'll say, for infectious disease research. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Marburg doesn't occur very often. There hasn't been that many outbreaks of it. Uh, so like I said, we know about it from this uh, transmission event in Germany here, but in the countries it's believed to be endemic, uh, in again, in Africa, uh, you have occasional outbreaks, but nothing like what we've seen with Ebola. Um, so what is the latest? Well, uh, Ghana is experiencing its first ever outbreak of the disease. An update from International Society for Infectious Diseases from August 3rd. Uh, a child has died, unfortunately, uh, bringing the total number of fatalities in the country to three uh, since this first ever outbreak of the disease in that country was registered uh, in July. Um, this is only the second outbreak in West Africa of, uh, of Marburg virus. The first ever case uh, in the region came from Guinea uh, last year in 2021. Uh, the virus is believed to be transmitted from fruit bats uh, and then spread among humans through direct contact with bodily fluids, surfaces, and materials very similar to Ebola. Um, so the uh, latest uh, fatality uh, was, uh, again, a child, uh, and it was one of two new cases reported last week. Again, this is uh, the beginning of August. Um, one uh, of the cases, one of the other two cases was the mother of the child uh, and the wife of the index case. Uh, who she is doing well, uh, by all accounts, uh, at this time. Um, and there's only been three other confirmed cases. Uh, further testing remains to be done on a fourth suspected case, uh, authorities said, in that region. So, uh, it doesn't appear to be spreading. I haven't heard anything else. I can't find any other updates on it uh, since that this one in the beginning of August. Uh, but I wanted to mention it just because, obviously, I live in the city of Marburg. This is a fascinating one because it is it is like Ebola and it is bad. Uh, the things that come to my mind are, you know, what is it about Marburg that uh, it doesn't uh, flare up like Ebola? Um, again, bats are, are believed to be the reservoir. So you know, do we know specifically which bats where uh, all of this kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure there's some idea of all of this, but like most of these viruses, there's still a lot of unknowns. Um, and I also bring it up just to not fear monger because, you know, the, 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 I saw the initial reports and friends were sending me stuff uh, on chats and whatnot uh, when they saw it, because it's, it's something that makes the news outside of Africa, you know, and everyone's on heightened alert right now with the... Uh, infectious disease stories, which is understandable. Um, but no, this isn't one that we need to be super concerned about. Um, obviously, in the places where there is transmission, concern is at the levels that it should be, but we're not seeing a, a, a massive outbreak. So this, these first couple cases were at the beginning of August. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, this a big flare up uh, since then. So that is good. Uh, 
But again, it highlights that these things are occurring and will likely start occurring with more frequency. Uh, some of this is our heightened attention on it, but also those factors that I mentioned, climate, uh, wildlife, uh, wildlife habitat destruction, all of these kind of things. We're hopefully entering into a phase where we take these things more seriously. Everybody understands now, having gone through this global event, um, what is uh, at stake and what sorts of things need to be done in order to uh, prevent or be more prepared for these situations uh, in the future. So things like Ebola, uh, like Marburg, like monkeypox, don't spread as readily as respiratory uh, infections like COVID and flu and all of these things. But the same factors all play a role. So again, our behaviors, our attitudes towards these things, uh, what we choose to investigate, test for, research, develop vaccines for, develop treatments for, all of these kind of decisions uh, are going to be very important uh, moving forward. Uh, and we'll see, I, I mean, I hope that we don't see this, an era of emerging diseases, you know, sort of defining uh, the, the next years. But uh, the climate, I, I alluded to it at the top, it, this summer has been a weird one for Europe uh, and a pretty, pretty severe drought, uh, fires in England. Um, the climate is changing. So uh, our focus and our priorities will need to change as well. You know me, I'm very optimistic that we can handle these uh, changes uh, and that we can get these things sort of under control. But this is where we're at. Uh, so I do want to leave it on an optimistic note that all of these challenges are uh, surmountable. Uh, we can we can do it, people. Uh, be aware of your COVID situation. Uh, don't freak out about monkeypox. Know what your risk level is, uh, and talk to your doctor. And yeah, infectious disease remains to be fascinating and will be for the foreseeable future. And as always, we will continue to talk about it on this show. Also, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be lining up guests again for the next episode, so hopefully we can get that out to you and you won't have to just listen to me ramble on about the things that I find interesting for uh, 50 minutes or so. Uh, I'm a little impressed that I was able to do 50 minutes. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, as always, follow us uh, on wherever you're getting your podcast. Rate, subscribe. Uh, the ratings really, the ratings and reviews really do help. Please, please do that. Um, get in touch with us, uh, social media at Too Brad For You. Uh, go to the website, toobradforyou.wordpress.com. Leave us a message there. Subscribe, rate, follow, share with your friends, all of that good stuff. I will be back in September with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Take care, everyone. Bye for now.